It felt like dawn would never come. When Anna first realized that it was going to be one of those nights, one of those awful nights that felt like it would never end, she reached for the book she'd been reading and read for a while with the help of the battery lamp on the bedside table. Reading didn't help. Knitting didn't either. And knitting always relaxed her. Reaching for her robe, Anna pushed her feet into her slippers and padded downstairs to the kitchen. There was no need for light, for she knew her way from all the dozens, no hundreds of nights she'd gone downstairs in the dark. Even before the first time she stepped inside this house, she knew it like the back of her hand. She and Samuel had drawn the plans, spent hours talking about how he and his brothers were going to build it. As soon as the house was finished, he'd started crafting furniture for it. The final piece he'd made was a cradle for the baby he hoped they'd have soon. His sudden illness stopped him in his tracks. Leukemia, said the doctor. One day it seemed he was an agile monkey climbing up the frame of a barn he and the other men were raising. And just a few days later he could barely get out of bed, and she joked he'd turned into an old man. She'd insisted that he see a doctor, and reluctantly he'd done so. Six months later, he was gone, and she'd shut the door to the room with the tiny crib. She buried her dreams the day she buried Samuel. She filled the tea kettle and set it on the stove to heat. How many cups of tea have I drunk in the middle of the night? She wondered, as she reached for a cup and the box of chamomile tea bags. Before Samuel had died, she'd heard about the seven stages of grief. She'd been naive. You didn't go through them one by one in order. Sometimes you walked, faltered, through them in no certain order. Sometimes they ganged up on you when you least expected them. And sometimes, it felt like too many times, no one seemed to understand. She couldn't blame them. The only way she got through the first month, the first year, was to put on a brave face and pretend she was getting through it. There was no way she could get through it otherwise. She'd shatter into a thousand pieces that no one would be able to put back together again. Humpty Dumpty, she thought wryly. Then she frowned, wishing that she hadn't thought of the childhood story. A closed door didn't keep out the memory of the tiny crib that lay behind it. The tea kettle's whistle broke into her musing. It sounded so sharp and shrill that she put her hands over her ears to block it while she got up to take it off the flame. She poured the hot water over the tea bag and took the mug back to the kitchen table and sat there, dipping the bag in and out of the water. Finally, she pulled the bag out and set it on the saucer. Sighing, she massaged her scalp and wondered if she should take an aspirin to stop the pain. Then she flicked her hair behind her shoulders and hunched over the cup. In a minute, she'd get up and get the aspirin. Her mind might be awake, but her body felt tired and full of lead. As she trudged back up the stairs a few minutes later, she heard something. It sounded like a laugh, a high, excited one that went rushing past her and up the stairs. She watched, tired, leaning against the wall as she saw herself, lifting the hem of her nightgown so she wouldn't trip. Samuel reaching for her, she flew up the stairs to their room. She blinked, not sure if she was dreaming or seeing a ghost of the two of them so young and in love, so unaware that anything bad could touch them. When she reached her room, no one was there. Climbing back into bed, 
She pulled the quilt around her shoulders and lay on her side, facing the uncurtained window. The wedding quilt that her cousins Naomi and Mary Catherine and her grandmother had sewn for her and Samuel lay wrapped in muslin and tucked in a box in the closet of the same room as the cradle. She hadn't been able to bear lying under it after Samuel died.